Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. Welcome back. In chapter 2 in the book of James, we've gotten right at the heart of the theme and application of what pure religion and true worship is before our holy God. It's love. In fact, it's the royal law, according to James. For today's session, we're going to look at James chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. But first, let me remind you of true worship, that true worship to God aligns our thinking, emotions, devotion, actions with that of his character and nature. Worldly thinking can't do this. Remember, the overarching concern of James's letter is that being like Christ demonstrates that we have been truly changed by Christ, and responding to God in true faith through right belief produces right actions. At the beginning of chapter 2, James primarily tackles the application of living out pure religion before God by simply loving others. He addresses topics like greed and anger, ungodly speech, and discrimination against others through prejudiced attitudes and actions. These are addressed to help his audience actively love others. They were struggling to love one another by loving their riches over fellow Christians. Remember, they were struggling because they were acting judgmentally. And perhaps some were lashing out in anger and speech because of mistreatment. To love God is to obey his laws. And loving God will ultimately lead to loving others. To treat another with prejudice or oppression is to discriminate against them and is a violation of God's law and is simply sin. We simply can't love others if we're oppressing them or devaluing them because of their lack of resources or social status. Just like we can't love others if we're committing adultery or murder against our neighbor. That simply is not loving. James is saying there's no difference in God's eyes between adultery and murder and oppression and mistreatment of others. In the second half of chapter 2, James repeatedly addresses them as brothers and sisters and brings up what true faith, a.k.a. true religion, looks like. Our focus today in chapter 2, verses 4 through 19, it simply says this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can this kind of faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat well, but you do not give them what the body needs, what good is it? So also faith, if it does not have works, is dead being by itself. Verse 18, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. But I say, Show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one, well and good. Even the demons believe and tremble with fear. James uses terms like brothers and sisters roughly 11 times in his letter, all of which occur in chapters 1 through 3. This phrase could mean a person by biological relation, one sharing the same national people group, a fellow human. It could mean a fellow believer or people who are united to one another by the bond of affection. James clearly has these last two in mind. I'm reminded of Ephesians 4, verses 2 through 6, which says, With all humility and gentleness, be patient, putting up with one another in love, 
making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you two were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, Paul says. We are intimately connected and bound together because of the person and work of Jesus. You see, the character and nature of God is in us because of what Jesus has done to us. It isn't anything else that causes this connection. No race, age, gender, education, social status, job, not even our nationality or anything else other than Jesus Christ. Period. We are bound to one another because we share in the affection of Christ. Here in James chapter 2, verse 14, is the seventh use, and verse 15 is the eighth time that this phrase is used of brothers and sisters. What does this say about how James might see the relationship between fellow Christians? He sees them as family. The concept of family is turned inside out by Jesus. In Matthew 12, verses 46 to 50, Jesus says, While Jesus was still speaking to the crowds, His mother and brothers came and stood outside asking to speak to him. Someone told him, Look, your mother and your brothers are saying outside wanting to speak to you. To the one who had said this, Jesus replied, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And pointing towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus' statement here is profound and offends the cultural norms of his time concerning loyalty and family identity. Jesus' point here is that those who follow him and desire to seek the kingdom of God are the people closest to him emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. These are the people who are his family. He regards his followers as more family than his blood relatives. The Apostle Paul will speak of the body of Christ the Christians in Galatia, as the household of faith, Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. James also sees them as family, addressing and exhorting them through this unique, close, and intense relationship. For James, their behavior, again, is illogical and dumbfounding. How would you treat your family? If our family members were hurting in need and struggling to eat, clothe themselves, etc., How would we respond to them? We would never invite our brother or sister over for Christmas dinner and have one of them sit on the floor because of their income, clothes, jewelry, car, or social status. We would never do that to our own blood family. Would you have your impoverished uncle, your widow aunt, or orphan cousin sit on the floor because their clothes weren't as nice as your father or brothers? Of course not. Why? Yet this is what they were doing to each other in their church meeting at the beginning of this chapter in chapter 2. God has given some great abundance, and the heart of God is for those people with abundance to serve out of their abundance, especially serving those who are their spiritual family. James further defines what true religion or worship is through loving one another by taking head-on the relationship of faith and works. Now, this is important and oftentimes controversial. This is an often misunderstood and misapplied text that fundamentally can be the difference between a true gospel 
and a false one. Historically, there is great confusion over the relationship between faith and works. So let's address this directly as James does. In chapter 2, James twice references their faith. In other words, he uses what they believe or should believe about Jesus to directly influence and inform how they live and behave. The issue that he addresses here is whether or not they are believing the right thing and if they are thinking and behaving the wrong way. However, more importantly, he is defining what saving faith is. In chapter 2, verse 1, James says, My brothers and sisters, do not show prejudice if you possess faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, verse 14, he says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can this kind of faith save him? Now, before we talk about the relationship between faith and works and tackle exactly what he's saying, let me remind you how we've defined faith in previous sessions from chapter 1, verses 1 through 8 regarding the role of faith in trials and suffering. Remember, faith is commonly misunderstood through Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 6, which says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, being convinced of what we do not see. Verse 1 and verse 6 says, Now without faith it is impossible to please God. For the one who approaches God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The author of Hebrews is merely describing the result of faith, remember. Hence, faith brings assurance and conviction in the things that we look forward to, but do not yet see in that this pleases God. You can also, again, see Romans 8. The point is, our faith is not hoping in the future. Our faith is hoping in the God who secured and is our future. So how do we respond when we wait for our future in this life? The word faith simply means to entrust or commit to. This word is used 13 times by James in the first two chapters. The implication of faith is that salvation and sanctification comes through a genuine acceptance of the work of Jesus Christ that leads us to a surrendered allegiance and commitment to who he has claimed to be. We believe God. We surrender to God by following him. We imitate his thinking and behavior. And yes, faith is necessary for salvation. Faith then is inevitably exercised in a spirit-filled life as we approach God by a humble surrender with a genuine belief in who he said he is, especially for our salvation and amidst our difficulty and trying circumstances. We find wisdom, hope, and strength in his character and who he is and is an and in his nature, what he does. James says that if we possess true faith, if this is the kind of faith that we have and have life in it, it will manifest itself in godly thinking and behavior. Don't miss this. True faith, in other words, is saving faith in Christ and will result in change. Change that moves closer to looking more like God. How much? How fast? That's not the right question. The fact of the matter is that we will change because we are changed by Christ in saving faith. James presents these changes in the context of works. What is the meaning of works 
in chapter 2, verse 14 and 18. The meaning of the word used for works here can be defined in the context of one, business or employment, the work which one undertakes to do our enterprise or undertaking. Secondly, the meaning of works can mean any product or anything accomplished by hand, art, industry, or mind. And lastly, the option of number three, as far as the definition of the word works, works as an act, deed, or thing done. The idea of working is emphasized here. Again, this word works is used 13 times in chapters 2 and 3. Two chapters. It's important. James will say emphatically at the end of chapter 2, verse 26, that faith without works is simply dead. In other words, faith without change that leads to actions of thinking and behavior is lifeless. In fact, it's not really faith at all. Remember the ancient Hebrew view of understanding or to hear related to the commandment to love God in the context of Deuteronomy 6. It means to listen with intention and interest to obey. If hearing means to listen with intention, interest, and obedience, then the implication of James's point about an understanding of belief or faith, in this case, is profound. That for God to truly believe or have faith in something is to not only acknowledge it as viable and true cognitively, but to internalize it in the heart and have it change one's character and have it expressed in our lives and behavior. This is the message of James. Let me repeat that. This is the message of James. For James, it's not really a question of salvation and justification as it pertains to faith. Rather, it's simply a point of the common sense reality of salvation and sanctification. In other words, he's not teaching or questioning that one is justified before God in their sin by doing good things, by works. This is a very unnatural way to read the overall text of the book. Rather, he is saying that since you believe that you are saved by Christ, it doesn't make sense whatsoever that you wouldn't be like, look like, or act like him. Because that's what our salvation is. We are made to be like Christ. If God is the Father of lights, and we are children of light, then shouldn't we, well, have light? James has already said in chapter 1, verse 21 to 22, So put away all filth and evil excess, and humbly welcome the message implanted within you, which is able to save your souls. But be sure you live out the message and do not merely listen to it, and so deceive yourselves. Those are very strong truths. The message of Jesus implanted in us by our faith is what saved our souls. Now, be sure that you live out the message. The gospel message is a message of change and transformation. For James says in chapter 2, verse 15, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat well, but you do not give them what the body needs, what good is it? He points out that if someone is in need, particularly a fellow Christian, and you acknowledge their need and trouble and do nothing besides tell them to simply go in peace, it doesn't make any sense. Because God cares for the needs of his people through the goodness of his character. God takes action. The people in this context have the means to be instruments of this goodness, but their sinful attitudes and actions are preventing them from doing so.
I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, which says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. It is not from works, so that no one can boast. I don't think James would disagree with this. But in verse 10 in Ephesians 2, Paul goes on and says, For we are his created work, his workmanship, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand, so we can do them or walk in them. Here, Paul clearly links saving grace through faith in which God desires and plans good works for those who believe and respond in their belief by doing good things, by acting out God's character. He clearly links faith and works the same way that James has, through sanctification. James makes a peculiar statement at the end of this chapter about demons to further drive his point home. In chapter 2, verse 19, he says, You believe that God is one? Well and good. Even the demons believe that and tremble with fear. James is connecting the reality that the demons acknowledge who God is, that he is one, that he is the living God, the almighty, all-powerful, sovereign, beginning and end, being over the universe, and yet their acknowledgement, i.e. their belief, doesn't save them. The point here, again, is profound, that our faith in God as followers of Christ produces something different and beyond what the demons understand and ultimately do. The demons don't follow God's heart and character. They don't produce fruit for God and spread his goodness. In fact, they do the opposite by dishonoring God and blaspheming his name by the evil and wickedness they spread. This is precisely James's warning against claiming the kind of faith that doesn't produce righteous works. Instead, they commit evil deeds that resemble more of the demonic realm and not Christ. Saving faith should be based on truth that enables us to live out what is true about God. James's expectation is that once his audience accepts this reality and they respond by being like Christ, being like Christ demonstrates that we have been truly changed by Christ and responding to God in true faith through right belief produces right actions. James has given many difficult and practical examples that they should act on. May we do the same and search out God and respond to James. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.